Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. My name is Josh. It's great to be with you on Christmas Eve. Um, it's been a, a, sweet, a sweet week uh, practicing those songs, just so rich, full of the gospel, so it's, it's fun to sing them with you and appreciate you being with us. So Christmas is this time where we get to celebrate the fact that the God of the universe came as a baby, and it's been especially fun to meditate on that truth this, uh, this year because I have a, a little baby in my house uh, who's pretty awesome, and so it's just mind-blowing to think about Jesus, God himself, uh, being being a baby, being in, in, in the Word made flesh. And the beautiful thing about this, uh, or one of the things we're looking at this, this year, this Advent series, is that when this baby came, every time his birth was announced, it came with the announcement of, fear not, do not be afraid. Jesus, as it turns out, uh, we talked about it last week, is to fear what light is to darkness. Jesus is to fear what light is to darkness. When a light goes on, in a room, what happens to the darkness? It just, <clears throat> poof, vanishes. Jesus shows up, fear vanishes, even as a baby, which is amazing. First John 4 says, uh, perfect love casts out fear, and God is love. We see an element of how this works out in the coming of Christ. When God came to be with, with us, which is what Emmanuel means, when God came to be with us, we see fear cast out. We, we looked at uh, two fears the last couple weeks, the impossible, uh, fear, of the, fear of being rejected, or the fear of man. And here we're going to look at the shepherds in Luke 2, and we're going to look at the fear of being exposed, or the fear of exposure, if you will. I've been thinking about the positive phrase of this. If we're afraid of being exposed, what is the thing that we want? What are, what is, what are we afraid that being exposed would take away from us? And I think this really connects with, <coughs> excuse me, connects with kind of the whole sentimentality coziness of, of Christmas, is that we, part of the reason Christmas is so special is because it's the sweet time of belonging with loved ones, where we're all together and we're all warm in our houses around the fire, and even gift giving, in the best sense of it, in the not like, you know, worshiping stuff sense, is someone knowing you, knowing what you like, thinking of you, making a purchase and giving you something that you like. You feel known and you feel loved as people give thought, you know, thoughtful gifts. I think this, this sense of belonging, the sense of being known and loved, is what we're made for, what we're designed to experience. But it's also tricky to experience that. It's also scary to try to experience this idea of being fully known and fully loved, uh, because we have to really be ourselves in order to do that. We have to take off any masks and step from out behind our phones and screens and... We can't hold any pretense or fake it. We could do that, and people might even like us a lot, but it wouldn't really scratch that itch of being known or loved because they would be loving our mask. They'd be loving the, the projection that we show to the world. And so that love never makes it into our souls. The next logical question is, why do we wear masks? Why do we act? Why do we put on an act? I feel like Christmas time where everybody's supposed to be happy and everything's supposed to be cozy and everything's supposed to be magical and bright, we can turn that acting and the mask wearing into overdrive. We're afraid that 
we, if people really knew us, we really saw our struggle with how little money we actually make, or our struggle with pornography, or how messy our house is, or what our kids are, are really going through. I think they've destroyed this, but my parents one time, I think when I was 13, and my brother was 11, and my little sister, my little sister, whatever, my sister was in the terrible twos, um, I think my other sister was doing all right, but they wrote an honest Christmas letter update. Uh, they didn't actually send it out, but it was just like brutally, they just like tickled themselves by like how terrible I was being as a teenager, and the terrible twos, and and all this stuff. Cause you know how people send out Christmas cards and it's like, you know, Josh made the varsity soccer and you know, there's only the good things. Um, and that's all right. Like you don't need to be honest in your Christmas card. Uh, but the reality is, is that we're, we're all messed up. We all have that, that thing going on or lots of things going on that we don't want people to know about. We f- are afraid that we wouldn't be loved and accepted. You might have a family dynamic where you, you know, you gotta be a winner uh, or you can't be weak or needy or sad. And if you are, they, and then you're kind of distanced until you get your stuff together. Now, I'm not saying every group that you're a part of, every family that in the gathering is this gracious bunch of people ready to receive the true you, because people are messed up, uh, which is why we, we have the church, why we're going for this gracious, grace-based family here. But the, the process of becoming the true you, or true selves, and being fully known and fully loved is something that is only safe. That fear can only be addressed in the advent of Jesus. Jesus is coming. He speaks to this. So let's dive into our text here in Luke 2. Verses 8 and 9 sets the scene. In the same region where the shepherds, uh, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So as Jeff's story said, the shepherds were the raggedy bunch of the society. No one wanted to be a shepherd. Most of the time it was like slaves or servants that were shepherds, or if your family didn't have a lot of slaves, it'd be like the youngest brother, the afterthought would, would be the, the shepherds. It was monotonous. You had to stay in the fields long. they were camping out, obviously. So you're away from all your friends and family. It wasn't a great, uh, a great uh, gig. And in the darkness, in the sleepiness of Camping out under the stars, the eternal glory of God shines forth, and they're afraid. We know the glory of God is like light. We see that often in Scripture. Actually, the, uh, when Scripture shows us what the redemption of all things is going to look like when Jesus comes back and restores the heavens, sets up the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no need for sun because God himself will be our light. But then why are the disciples afraid, or the shepherds afraid? Why are they afraid of this light, of this glory of God? I think here we see a little bit of a nuance on fear. Because on the one hand, absolutely, fear is evil. Perfect love casts out fear. In Christ, we haven't received the spirit of slavery to fall into fear, spirit of adoptions as sons and daughters. So we can see fear as an evil and bad thing that the love of God obliterates. But on the other hand, I think we can understand a healthy kind of fear. You could call it like a healthy reverence or respect for something. It's a, it's a healthy fear if you see a bear walking. You don't go try to like wrestle it or smack it in the face because you have a, a healthy fear for that bear. You might appreciate seeing it uh, in real life, but you're probably not going to you know, bring it into your house to introduce to your dog or something like that. There's, a, there's a, healthy, a healthy reverence for something beautiful and powerful and beyond us and outside of us. 
So when the glory of the Lord shines, we get a taste of who God is, and there's some fear there because his glory shines on how other, how beyond, how uh, holy he is, and it shines light on our own shortcomings, how the fact that we've fallen short of the glory of God, as the famous Romans passage says. His perfection shows our imperfections. His power shows us our powerlessness. If you're playing basketball with a bunch of eight-year-olds on a seven-foot hoop, you might feel pretty awesome. But then if LeBron James shows up, you're suddenly exposed as not being that great at basketball. Now, we aren't necessarily talking about being exposed in front of people. We talked about that last week, the fear of man or rejection. What we're talking about is, is a, a more uh, vertical kind of relationship, a fear of being exposed as, as broken, as sinful in the presence of God. Staring the beauty and glory of the one true God in the face and just feeling how woefully inadequate we are. And there's good reason for some healthy kind of fear, a natural response like that. Just like LeBron showing up to your basketball game. You're not like, yo, I got this. I'll cover LBJ. Because that would just be dumb. Camille was talking to one of our friends this week. and We've invited her to church a lot. And she seems like she wants to come, but she just always hedges. And this week it finally came out that she wants to come, but she just feels deep shame at the thought of coming into church. It's terrifying. You can join us for praying for her, but she just says, I just feel so ashamed of what I've done with my life and what I haven't done and where I failed. And so we we're thankful she's willing to share that, share that with us. But this is, this is the, the barrier of shame, the barrier of our own inadequacy that keeps us distant from God, keeps us in fear, our fear and shame. Let's look at why the angels tell the shepherd not to fear. Look in verses 10 through 11. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Fear not, for behold. Right there in that one phrase, fear not, for behold, I think is, is the secret to maybe everything. If we are afraid, if we are struggling in fear, if shame is, is kind of controlling our relationship with God and others, then it's because we're not beholding what we should behold, be beholding. What should we behold? The angels say, fear not, for behold, they're bringing good news of great joy. Now, the gospel literally means good news. The angels are saying, fear not, for behold, the gospel. The shepherds are exposed to the glory of the Lord they're afraid. They're some of the lowest class, the lowest in the social pecking order in Bible times. Because they spent so much time in the field, they often didn't get to participate in a lot of the religious activity. So not only socially is being a shepherd not so great, but then they also live with this kind of like low-level guilt that they're not able to actually participate in the, the rules that that culture had come up with for how to make God happy with you. So they probably considered themselves lost causes spiritually. And if they're beholding themselves, how they stack up in their own eyes, in their, their own career advancement, their own religious activity, what rules they can keep, then there should be lots of fear. But the angels show up and say, fear not because of the gospel. 
the good news that I'm about to tell you about, the good news of the gospel. The gospel literally means good news. One of my favorite questions uh, to, to talk through with people who are exploring baptism or Christianity is, is what is the gospel? Because we're all familiar with the word, but we don't really know what it means. But the, the gospel is, is news. When we say the gospel of Luke, like we're in today, that means the good news according to Luke and his biography of Jesus. And the gospel is the news, the fact, the account of how the God of the universe reached out into a helpless hopeless, lost, sinful, broken humanity to save and redeem and heal them with the blood of his son into a relationship with himself. The gospel is the good news of how a perfect God invites us into his family as adopted sons and daughters, redeemed children through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is the good news that I was once a hostile enemy of God, rebelling against everything that he made that was good, but now through Jesus I can experience life with him, under his rule, in his kingdom. The gospel is the good news that I'm more sinful than I could have ever imagined, and yet in Christ, by grace, I'm more loved than I could have ever hoped for. The gospel is that unto us a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. You can say it many ways, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a piece of news. It's a piece of good news, of glad tidings. The angels say, fear not, don't be afraid of being exposed as broken, shameful, weak, foolish, unworthy. Because God is with us. He's made a way for us to experience the good life with him. This, I think you'll find, the longer you stick around the Bible or stick around the church, is just the flow of how God works. God initiates. He shows up and shows his glory and goodness. And we're, and we're exposed and convicted as frauds. There's not a single human except for Jesus who, when exposed by the glory of God, seeing God for who he is, is like, I'm all right. And then we experience what Jesus says in the Beatitudes, that we're poor in spirit, that we're spiritually bankrupt. We don't have anything to bring to the table. No resources. And this is why we, we, we shape our, our liturgy and our worship gatherings with this call to worship, which is the glory of God. And then that shows us that we fall short of that glory. And that's why we have confession or lament, where we acknowledge our need for a Savior. And then we respond with, with the assurance of our forgiveness after we do our time of confession. We want to shape everything by this, this biblical, this gospel pattern that God initiates. We are humbled and we repent and then we receive grace, the assurance of forgiveness through Christ. So how does the, the gospel specifically address this fear? When we feel exposed, when our carefully crafted masks, our photoshopped version of ourselves begin to fail or people see behind it, that's grace. That's the mercy of God stepping into that fake way of living and showing your brokenness so that this same message can be proclaimed to you. Fear not, for behold, the good news, the gospel. The good news is that everything about you that you're afraid of people knowing is true and it's wrong and it's bad and it's sinful. Yet in Christ, I love you. In Christ, I move towards you. The miracle of, of Advent, of Jesus' coming, is that it was God moving towards us, moving past all our defenses, 
in weakness as a child to show us grace. So what it, what it means is that we're looking at our, our shame, we're looking at the stuff we're trying to hide behind our masks and letting that be more true about us than what God says is true. Which is that I love you so much that I sent my son as a baby, born in a barn, to die the death in one of the worst possible ways. And then raise again to bring you into my family. We're not beholding that gospel and we're beholding our, our own standards. Like, am I where I said I would be at 30 or 40 or 50? Am I where I, I think I should be? Or is, am I caught up with my brother and a shiny new minivan that he's going to bring to Christmas gathering? My money-making ability. When we're beholding these things, we're beholding these standards, that, that's where our masks come in. That's, that's where the, the things that would keep us from getting the belonging we so desire rule our lives. And this great news is exactly what the angels start singing. Look in verses 12 through 14. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the incredible joy and scandal of the gospel. Not only are you forgiven in the gospel, but God is pleased with you in Christ. God is pleased with you when you trust in God and what he's done for you, what he says about you through Christ. He delights in us. He looks on us with favor, as we saw with Mary. The gospel isn't just, Jesus died for my sins, so I'll go to heaven. The gospel isn't, Jesus died for my sins, so now God has to love me, even though I keep messing up. The gospel is that God loved you, so he sent Jesus to die for you, to raise again, to bring you into a relationship. He wants to know you. Taking, so take away that sin and shame, and then dress you in Jesus' righteousness. The, the, the miracle, the scandal of the gospel is that when God looks at me, when God looks at you, Christian, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees his beloved son, Jesus, in whom he's well pleased. If that's true, we don't fear being exposed. We don't fear the truth about ourselves coming out because God's favor is what we define our lives by. He's pleased. What we find is this incredible paradox, this incredible life change. Uh, one aspect of the life change that happens when we become Christians is that the things we tried to hide under our mask before we came to know this, this good pleasure that God has in us in Christ are now things that we can boast about because that shows the glory of God. One of the things that just continues to baffle me and tickle me to death is like, I don't want to go to church, they're all hypocrites. We can take that and run with it and say, yes, we all are hypocrites, and so are you. So come join us. We can own any accusation that uh, brought against us. So, like, can you, you're right. I have anger issues. Praise God that he loves me. He loves me in spite of that. So even the things we're ashamed of give us opportunities to glorify God. 
to shine light on Jesus. Let's look at what the shepherds do. We see an example of this good news getting down into the shepherd's heart. Look at me in verses 15 through 18. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They went with haste to find Mary and Joseph. And then they told everyone. They evangelized. They they had to proclaim this good news of great joy with others. And we see this pattern play out over and over and over again. We see it with the woman at the well in in John chapter 4, this woman who's been sleeping around and using sex to pay her rent, is hiding from everybody. She experiences Jesus and she runs towards people. When our fears are silenced, we can't help but to run towards others. What do they do with their sheep? <laughs> I don't think they took them with them into town. They call, like, text other shepherds and say, hey, we need to watch our sheep so we can go see Jesus. I don't know. But they reprioritize their entire lives to participate in what, what God had been inviting them into. These were real people with real responsibilities. And we see them make it all secondary in order to participate in God's plan by heralding the same message that Hark, the herald angels just hearkened unto them. So have we experienced this? Two things we see, if we had to distill it down in the shepherd's response. One is that there was some joy. This great news, this good news of great joy was real in their hearts and it overflowed into their relationships. They ran towards people. This is the mark of a Christian. The gospel always draws us towards people. Towards the lost, towards the poor, towards the church. That's not saying every second of every day. I know we have some introverts in there. You can have your alone time. But just like if you eat a great meal or read a great book, if you experience joy, you just want to share it with people. You run towards people. Where, where is your joy at? What are the things that cause you to bubble up and, and share things? We talk about evangelism training, or I feel like most Christians, if you've been around church, have this like low-level, sometimes high-level guilt that we haven't talked about Jesus with more people. But no one had to train me how to be excited about John getting born. No one had to train me to like go and tell everybody about how awesome my baby is. When you experience something joyful, you share it with others. So where's our joy at? The second thing, <clears throat> beholding the good news was the main thing. Their social status, their fear of the glory of God, their, they probably weren't really strong vo- vocal talent influencers as shepherds. They disregard that. Because it wasn't their own merits they were heralding. They were beholding the gospel and, and heralding that. They weren't saying, like, look at my life and how accomplished I am. Buy my book and follow these three steps and you can do the same thing. No, they're just proclaiming Jesus. The Savior is born. When the gospel takes roots in our, root in our hearts, we can boast in our weakness. It gives us a chance to show us how great Jesus is. 
So have you ever felt like you needed to have your act together in order to talk to people about Jesus or even like, you know, call yourself a Christian in the workplace? Where you're too sinful to share the gospel? Just like the shepherds or the woman at the well. We can run boldly towards others because as we boast in our shortcomings, as we boast in where we're not Jesus, we can point people to Jesus. And this is great because, listen, if we distill down even more, here are the two ingredients we have here. Joy, which we all want, and weakness, which we all have plenty of. These are the, the prerequisites of being a Christian, of being on mission. So two questions for you guys. Where is your joy? Does the gospel stir anything in your hearts? Is there a, a lightness of spirit in the truth of being with God as his children? Does that, not that we can never be sad or see the brokenness in our lives in the world and mourn them, but is there a lightness of spirit, a steadiness of joy? And unfortunately, we can't just crank up the joy switch in our souls. But if there's a lack of joy, or we see our joy coming from food or sports or just having a comfortable, safe life, we can ask God, Father, let me experience these glad tidings. Let me experience the good news of great joy. And then we put some time into it. We have to check what we're, what we're beholding. This is the second thing. What, what are we beholding? So maybe we go without TV for a while or we put a Bible on your dinner table and just really informally after eating, just open up and read a chapter with your family. These are little practices that can help us behold the good news. If we want this joy, if we want to see these glad tidings take root in our heart, then we have to ask ourselves, are, are we beholding things that are going that, that to silence the fear? Are we going to let Jesus silence our fear? of being exposed. Like, like the shepherds when we're on our own, when we're navel-gazing, there's lots of room for fear. On our own, by ourselves, we're going to fall short. But then, like the shepherds, when we behold the gospel, the God of the universe accepts us, we can get that joy and belonging. But it requires that beholding. It requires us to pay attention to what our eyes are looking at. Jesus says in, in Matthew that the eye is the gateway of the body. If the eye is darkness, then so much more will the rest of you. What are our eyes beholding? Are we swamping our minds with visions of fancy houses or all the commercials that are, <clears throat> listen y'all, all the commercials are specifically designed to make us feel discontent and incomplete. Like people make millions of dollars to come up with those ideas. And some of them are funny, for sure. But it would make sense if we're beholding that over and over and over again. That we might begin to feel some of that shame, some of that fakeness. And honestly, commercials sell masks. This is in my manuscript. I need to rein it in. Um, but yeah, your, your minivan is going to make you a better mom. You know, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a mask. Friends, let's behold the gospel this Christmas. I know we're going to leave this building and go to a whole jungle of family gatherings and travel delays and all kinds of stuff that happen. Uh, you know, hams that don't come out right and all kinds of stuff. But as we gather with family and friends tonight and tomorrow, 
Maybe just pay attention to a feeling of wanting to fake it or to put up a mask. And then ask that, that God might si silence that shame, that desire to hide with, with his love, with his good favor in you. Maybe we might experience the good news of great joy, or the coming of baby Jesus, where this little infant would grow up and, and bear, bear the weight of the sins of the whole world. And then raise again to bring us into new life, and then one day we'll come back and take his throne and set everything right and wipe away every tear.